Welcome to episode 123 of the Two on Three podcast, where two of your friends take on three topics in 30 minutes. I'm Ty, and you can find me on Twitter celebrating sexy sax men at S-E-A-T-J-K. And with me tonight is everyone's favorite snack connoisseur, Chicago Matt. Matt, did you ever revive your Twitter after your last appearance? No, I didn't, but you can find me on Twitter wondering what my password is, at NeckFat. Wonderful. I bet you have a lot of mentions waiting for you if you ever get back to it. If I get back to it. If I, if I remember what my password is, maybe I should go check it out. There's a whole forgot password link thing that you can use, and they'll email you. It's oh, amazing. Stop. I don't it's think magic. that's the issue. It's magic. <laughs> well, this week, Matt is stepping in to play the role of guest host and producer, which I always appreciate. Ooh. And he's brought to the show three riveting topics. We're going to start with a review of Oscar-worthy comedies and comedic performances to give a little shine to an area of film industry that the Academy often, well, pretty much totally ignores. Uh, We'll shift gears into this episode's main event, where we're going to turn off the timer for I Want to Sax You Up, where we'll break down the role of the alto saxophone in pop music. Well, hold on right there. It's not necessarily the alto. It's pretty much any saxophone, but yes, go ahead. Fair enough. Any sax. So we get some tenor and soprano sax also? Whatever it takes, bro. I wasn't paying attention when I pulled the music clips. I'm not going to lie to you. It's fine. (laughs) And finally, inspired by nearly, well, four months now of no sports, we'll catalog some of our recommended all-time sports rewatches for those of you looking for something to pass the time. Beyond the buzzer, as always, we'll pause for dad jokes of the week before heading to the overtime for a little parenting scuttlebutt, and perhaps we'll touch the third rail and talk about the value of civil unrest. Interact with the show on Twitter at 2on3pod, or hit us up via email at at 2on3pod.com, you know how much we love to hear from you. But before we get into it, I have to ask you, Matt, are you a bootlicker? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know where that came from, but I don't think I'm a bootlicker. But in these uncertain times, who knows what I'd stoop to. I'll tell you what, it seems like a lot of bootlickers on the internet. Real, Real proud of it. It's driving me crazy the last few weeks. I'm not sure I'm tracking. What's a bootlicker? Uh, just someone that wants to, you know, go ahead and say that the authorities are always right. Oh, okay. Yeah, let's save that for a later segment. <laughs> Basically, if the cops fucked you up, it must be your own fault. Yeah, I can't. I, I, I don't swing in those circles. <laughs> All right. Well, I wanted to ask you, too, before we got to the show, though, for real, though, um, did you get any quarantine snack bracket reactions? Did you share any of that time you spent with us with others? I did. I, I spoke with a handful of folks about it, and they look at me slightly cross-eyed and wondered what i do with my spare time. <laughs> um, but I think chicken in, in a biscuit was the big surprise for everyone. Really? And I, and I think it's because people maybe have forgotten about it. And and then it's like tasted again for the first time, right? Yeah. You uh, you know you like a virgin chicken and a biscuit, and you realize like I can't get enough of this. Now I will say, since we since we had that that cast, I haven't been been back to chicken and a biscuit. Have you revisited? I have. Um, I also found, but also I mean my my time has been busy with ranch corn nuts because they oh, started good. stocking them again at my local the local grocery store. Okay, nice. Still still no salsa verde Doritos. Yeah. But clearly they listen to the uh, the outcry of the people based on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> One of our regular listeners commented on Twitter about it, and she happened to misspell corn nuts as corn nits, and now I can't think of anything else. Corn nits? Corn well, nits. That's funny you say that, because I think one of the things that's special about chicken and a biscuit is the misspelling, and it just makes it that much better. So corn nits is, adds a layer of ridiculous and allure to it. As someone who has children and had to deal with nits not that long ago. What's nits? Lice. Oh, okay. Yes. They had the lice outbreak at the daycare last year. It was <sighs> It was That's a segment we actually never ran because the place we had to go <laughs> to get the lice treatment was called like lice to meet you oh boy. <laughs> or like, like have a lice day. I don't remember what it was. Are you serious right now? Yeah. 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 Like that's on the storefront. That's what it's called. That we need the world needs more of that. Now I want to find it. I want to know exactly what it's called. I don't. Lice to meet you is um is lice to know you. Lice to know you. Yeah. (sighs) And then, but then in their (laughs) material, in their materials, it said like have a lice day. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's one of those things. It's let's try and make light of it because maybe it's not that big of a deal, but also. It's disgusting, and nobody wants to think about it. Nobody wants bugs in their hair. Let's get no, it. Mean, like, no. What are you going to do? And no. yeah, it was not fun. Um, I was like the only person in the house that didn't get it. 
How did you manage that? Did you uh, avoid contact with your family? I have short hair. I don't know. Maybe that was it. Share pillows. <laughs> yes. Smart. But yeah, the outbreak at the daycare was, was quite something. It, was... it happens. I feel like, I mean, I think it's happened to both of my kids at separate schools, so it's right. just part of the deal. Oh, I definitely, I think I had it in like second or third grade. Did, you, did they do the lice checks at your school when you were a kid? Like, you had to, like, go see the nurse regularly? Like I, I don't think... I grew up in Colorado, and it's really dry out here. Mm. I don't know that lice is that big of a deal out here. <laughs> it's not lice to meet you in Colorado. It is, no, there is no lice to meet you franchise opportunities out here. <laughs> well, someday I want to come back to a complete segment of, like, pun names for businesses. Oh, the internet has pages and pages dedicated to it, and I'm all yep. for it. One of the ones that doesn't, I, at least that I don't think exists, that I really want to exist, is that someone needs to ferment Orokusaki. Orokusaki? Yes, the shredder. Uh-huh, okay. Yeah, so the, somebody should make sake that's like super high alcohol, ABV, uh-huh. and call it Orokusaki, <laughs> okay. the shredder. Okay, I yeah. love that, yeah. I want to start um, a cheese shop called Cheeses of Nazareth. <laughs> okay. And uh, all of the names of the cheeses are faith and religious-based. I like it. Yeah. Not the religion, but, you know. Yeah, but the, the mocking of it. <laughs> Via cheese. <laughs> no offense to any of our listeners that enjoy your worship. It's just not for me. Yeah. All right, well, uh, let's start it with segment number one, the comedy Oscars. All right, so this was your idea. You wanted to do this. We've talked about it. We've bandied it about for a while, about how yeah. this is going to work. Yeah. Um, so tell me how your thought process went when, when thinking of this, dreaming up this magical concept. Well, first of all, I, I have a sketch from an old job where I was just writing around, down ideas. And I was writing like the, you know, the the happy face and the sad face that represent um, theater. Of course. It was obvious to me that it... I had a, I had a drama patch on my letter jacket because I was that cool. Right on, the, brother. The... Yeah. <laughs> I had a band patch. Probably had a saxophone. There's a teaser for your next segment. <laughs> It's our next segment, friend. I'm sorry, our next segment. Um, but it it always felt like that was like a, a gaping hole with the Oscars. It's like people love to cry, people love to laugh. So why not make sure both are recognized? Mm-hmm. Um, half-ass internet research shows that there was at one time a best comedy uh, Oscar awarded, but back in like the early to mid 30s, and then it just dropped off, and they decided not to do it. So. I thought, wouldn't it be fun? My initial thought was, wouldn't it be fun to go back to, I don't know, the mid-70s and just start, go year by year and say, okay, over the course of, of you know, all these years, what's, um, you know, as a running segment, what was the best comedy of the year? So that was kind of the initial thought on this, and it feels like it's it's ripe for discussion um, because you can take it in a lot of different ways. And that I think that's the fun thing about comedy is kind of looking back. And, and my, my thought just, you know, in preparing for this show is I took a look at the year 1980 and I looked over like the, the top five comedies of the year. Um, and you get a really wide breadth of stuff in there. Some mm-hmm. that, you know, holds up over the course of many years. Some that's like, insanely quotable. Um, that's still kind of in the lexicon today, but some stuff that actually ended up being arguably important when you look back at the role it played in society. So, do you have any samples for us? Because I was going to say, though, that the Academy Awards, they don't differentiate film by genre in any way. And I no. think that's what that's that's the challenge here. Now, the Golden Globes actually do nominate a Best Motion Picture, Musical, or Comedy. Yes. And when I looked at that, I thought it was really interesting because the the comedic films are only slightly so. Like, so for 2020... Uh, it was the Dolomite is my name movie, kind of a comedy. I mean, it's comedic in in its subject matter, I guess, it, but it's not really comedic. Jojo Rabbit is a satire. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then they have like Knives Out. And then if you look back at last year, like one of the five movies is like Vice, but the one that wins is Green Book. Uh, as a <laughs> as a comedy or musical? I guess. Okay. Right, and so this doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, if you go even to 2018, then you've got stuff like Greatest Showman, which is obviously a musical. Get Out, musical or comedy? Is I, no, no, <laughs> no. I mean, I, you can't deny that that some of the great comedic films have are just loaded with social commentary. But I would never classify Get Out as a comedy. No, the year before you get, uh, um, sorry, you get Deadpool, which I think qualifies. Um, and then before that, going back, but again, 2016, the best 
motion picture, musical, or comedy at the Golden Globes was The Martian. Huh. No. Yeah. yeah. So there's clearly a gap, right? Obviously, it doesn't really qualify. I think it's really just sort of these movies are not straight drama films, and so we're going to stick them in this catch-all. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a, 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 a really good point. They don't know where to put all of these movies. Right. Um, and, you know, at the risk of sounding obvious, the default setting is, if it's a comedy, it can't be taken seriously. A little bit. You know? So what do you have from 1980? So from 1980, and this was, uh, this didn't have a, a ton of methodology to it, um, but the, the five films that I pulled out that I thought were... I guess, worthy of being um, nominated as a comedy Oscar were 9 to 5, which was a, a very important workplace film. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to tease it or, you know, tell tell our younger viewers about it. They can look it up. Private Benjamin. Sorry, I've forgotten about that altogether. Goldie Hawn. We'll come back to that one. Airplane. Obviously a biggie. Caddyshack. One of the biggest of all time when you think quotable. Um, and I think that that has its own set of issues because you're definitely, you know, cemented in the um, snobs versus slobs yes. genre. You know, that was very like it pretty much took hold after Animal House in the mm-hmm. late 70s and it became a thing. Uh, and then last but not least, an age uh, film which hasn't aged extremely well, but I still have a soft spot for it. Um, Blues Brothers. Mm-hmm. So, it, yeah, it was amazing at the time. And but yes, I understand why you would. Think it doesn't age well, although although the uh, is it the Illinois Nazis that they hate in Blues Brothers? Absolutely, there are still some really great parts of that movie, and I I still find the the, the soundtrack great. Um, and there are a handful of like throwaway lines that end up being quotables. Um, but you know, I think as time passes, the fact that that movie is almost two and a half hours long doesn't make any sense. No, like, <laughs> that doesn't it doesn't need to be that long. Um, but you know, you can look at Airplane and Caddyshack, and those are really like. I don't want to put them on Mount Rushmore of goofy films, but they're definitely up there. I think Caddyshack you could put up there for sure. Um, but they're silly, right? Mm-hmm. They're totally stupid. They're totally slapstick. They're not carrying any weight to them. Whereas you look at 9 to 5 and Private, Private Benjamin, which, as it so happens, was actually nominated for three Oscars. Best Actress, Best Supporting Actress, and Best Screenplay. Um, you know, those two movies, which I have, I'll be honest, I haven't revisited since I saw them probably when I was a young lad in the 80s. Um, I'm sure those age a little bit better than the others. Well, I went through and grabbed some that I thought were not not more contemporary necessarily, but the ones that stood out for me from certain years that I thought could have been nominated for an Academy Award if the Academy was more open to the idea. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one that came up for me was in 1989, uh, When Harry Met Sally. Yes. I think that's an Oscar performance by Meg Ryan. Yeah. I think it definitely put her on the map. There's no question. I think my issue with that movie, which I do, I'll admit, I love that movie. It it borrows so much from Woody Allen movies that it it falls a little short of being original. But as far as like a rom com, it definitely like hits all the marks. For, I'm sorry. I think great. Woody Allen without the baggage is a plus sign in the. Or plus, <laughs> it's a check mark in the plus category. Yeah, yeah. Woody. I mean, let, let's face it. Hasn't that hasn't aged well. Well, you know who won Best Actress in 1989? Um, let me wager a terrible guess and be nowhere near right. Uh, I'm going to go with... Oh, shoot. I can see her, but I can't. Michael Douglas... Glenn Close. No, it's uh, Jessica Tandy from Driving Miss Daisy. Mm, never saw it. <laughs> so would you, be object- would you object to Meg Ryan winning the Best Actress Oscar that year? I mean, with, without having seen Jessica Tandy's performance, was it is it uh, safe to say that that was probably a uh, what's the word when they give one away late to the uh, the, the lifetime old, achievement the, the it career, was that, like, career yeah. acknowledgement yeah yeah exactly because she was pretty old at that point pretty old yeah uh, the next on my list here um, I think Home Alone in 1990 a contender oh yeah it's funny how how. Um, <laughs> We're about the the distance in, in dates between how we're looking at this. Um, but you obviously did a lot more research. Uh, 1990, yeah, I mean, I'd have to see what it was up against. That's another thing. Do you Dances with Wolves is the best picture from 1990. You're not beating out Dances with Wolves. <laughs> you have to look, yeah, I'd have to see what else was nominated. Um, but I think that's, you know, another reason why perhaps it deserves its own category, 
right? You know, even if you say best performance in a, let's let's just relegate it to a single tip of the cap to a single performance, right? Mm-hmm. Best performer, so that's not actor or actress or supporting or non-supporting, uh, leader leader not, or supporting, you know, best in a comedic role. At least give somebody a little love. So Macaulay anyway, Culkin as a ten-year-old. Yeah. Has that just has that just been a cult classic? What Home Alone? Yeah. No, everyone in the world has seen Home Alone. Everyone has seen it, and everybody loves it. I didn't well, see. Well, I don't know if everyone loves it. I think now, like people who don't have the nostalgia, think maybe it's hacky or schlocky. But yeah, we watch Home Alone. The kids love it. Oh, we watch it every year without yeah. question. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ninety-three Groundhog Day. For sure. For sure. Which is, um, I was listening to another podcast where they were talking about Groundhog Day and how so many um, uh, different spiritual affiliations have adopted it as some sort of like commentary on how and what life means and how to live life. Mm. I think uh, Groundhog, Groundhog Day is probably deeper than most people give it credit for. And it's a, it's a really good movie. I tried to watch it with the kids and they weren't quite getting it. It's not good for young people. I hated it when I first saw it. So I would have been 14 when it first came out. The first time I saw it, I was like, this movie sucks. And it wasn't until I watched it again as like a 20-some-odd-year-old that I was like, oh, this is fantastic. I didn't understand it when I was 14. Yeah, I think think it's, yeah, it's a a grown-up comedy for sure. Yeah. It would have had to, so if you were going to nominate Bill Murray, he would have had to beat out Tom Hanks, uh, who won for Philadelphia. I mean, how do you? (laughs) You missed the mute button on that one, friend. (laughs) No, I didn't. I nailed it. Anyway, wait till you listen back. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. I thought I nailed it. Um, and then like, the other, only other ones I were going to mention was uh, whether or not you thought perhaps, perhaps like Alicia Silverstone's performance in Clueless, 1995. You know, I'll I'll have to say I never saw it. You've never seen Clueless? No. Should I see, you it? Should see it? You should see it. Should I watch it with my daughter? Maybe you should watch it alone before you watch it with your daughter. Definitely. I don't know. Right. I don't recall. Hey, honey, how, sorry. Like... I'm in here watching clueless alone. <laughs> watch it with your wife. She'll love it. Okay. You're right. Uh, and then uh, I loved this movie at the time. It was probably of a time for me, but uh, 1997 gross point blank. Great movie. I really, really watch rewatchable. Um, Rushmore 98. Yeah. Not my favorite. Again, I think I might've been too young and I need to go back to it. Uh, election in 1999. That is that's a rewatchable for me. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. It's a really 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 good movie. What's that director's name? Um, uh, Election is a. Um, well, you got to put me on the spot. Like I did Sorry. not. Anyway, I definitely did not have that ready. He he makes he makes really really good movies, and he sets them. I mean, that one's set in Omaha. He also did Nebraska, I think, with uh, um, a Saturday Night Live alum. No, he's a he's a really good director, and he's kind of the master of the subdued. Alexander was, Payne, Alexander Payne. Yeah, and yes. it was great to see like like Matthew Broderick in that movie <laughs> is fantastic. As is Reese, Reese Witherspoon. Indeed, and then this is a one that um, Chris mentioned uh, in our last episode episode a few weeks ago. Uh, Thor Birch's performance in Ghost World, uh, a movie I saw once in like like 20 years ago and have not seen since and have basically no memory of. I don't think I even know what that movie is. <laughs> he said it was good. So we'll, we'll obviously have to check it out. Yeah, for sure. Uh, 2001. El- yeah, that's an oldie. Yeah. 2003 Elf. Oh yeah. That's a classic for sure. But how, I mean, when do you start to fall into like holiday classic that just make, makes you feel warm and fuzzy on that in that time of year and you revisit pretty much because it's nostalgia for a season. The reason I bring up Elf is for Will Ferrell's performance because it's somehow believable. Because the premise is absurd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I that was actually when um, before my wife and I were married, we were early on dating, and we went and saw that movie, and we about fell out of our seats, and we couldn't believe how funny it was. Saw it in the theater. It still holds up all these years later. It's as watchable today as the day it came out. And you know, there are people that hate it. They think it's terrible. My dad hates that movie. Why? Because he thinks, I don't think he likes um, man children, mm. which I don't know how he puts up with me. But I for some reason, say, how's that working out? <laughs> Barely. <laughs> oh, and then the only other one I was going to mention was uh, 2004's Mean Girl. Mean mm. Girls. I can't remember Mean Girl. Mean Girl. Now I'm your dad. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I think. I mean, I think this is this is a territory where you can go back and revisit a lot. You know, yeah. year over year over year. I think 1974 was a really big year, at least as far as I'm concerned, because that's the year Blazing Saddles and Young Frankenstein came out, mm. which are two of my favorite comedies of all time for completely different reasons. Um, I recently went back to Blazing Saddles, and the amount of complete scathing satire in that movie is unbelievable. Blazing Saddles is so tough because Mel Brooks was so so far ahead of his time from. Yeah a wokeness perspective like yeah he wasn't there you know i this is not really for us to talk about as two middle-aged white guys mm, yes but Let's mind our corner <laughs> right but it, it's not say there's no minstrelsy there's just the the sheriff being awesome and owning and knowing exactly what's going on and just overcoming every aspect of it by but that that's the problem is right he has to be exceptional anyway like i'm just gonna let it go yeah. <laughs> it's a great movie for a variety of reasons. All right, well, why don't you sex me up in segment two? Oh, sax me up, I mean. Mm, gosh, so many different names for this segment. Okay, so um, ever since I was a very young man, I've been kind of, you know, nuts about the saxophone. And even when I was, uh, you know, you spoke earlier about your theater patch. Well, I had a band patch on my on my letter jacket. Um, and I started playing the saxophone when I was probably in fourth grade and I played it for about six or eight years and uh, I was really good at it and I enjoy I enjoyed it and I had a little jazz band and everything and it's always been I don't want to say an obsession of mine but you know I've always been a huge fan of the saxophone um, and it dawned on me that it felt like the saxophone has this kind of like pass to be uh, part of pop and even rock music to some degree over the years you know you've you've heard bands that have you know popped up every now and again and had something unique you know with a trumpet or or whatever but the sax decade over decade has has found its place um and i I always thought i thought that'd be an interesting thing to discuss um you know i think you could go on ad nauseum about this but i have a handful of um songs that we can you know just kind of talk about and uh, if you have anything you know thoughts or, or songs you want to bring to the table i'd love to hear them okay well i definitely didn't pull anything beyond the list you sent me so i don't know that i'm ready to talk about anything beyond this but it's i did have to ask right. you yes how, how does careless whisper not make your list okay that's a that's a valid question so that's that kind of brings me into methodology right um careless whisper has an amazing saxophone hook without question you know, one of the greatest of all time. One of the most uh, res- recognizable periods. Absolutely, yeah. You hear that, and you're like, "Oh, I know this. I'm not turning the channel." Um, or the I opposite, think- like you, you act with, you react with revulsion. <laughs> I I love that song. I'll Me, be, too. Me too. I'll be 100 percent honest. I absolutely love that song. And uh, when I think about music, I know that it wasn't the first time that a saxophone was used in pop music. It's the first time I can recall like a number, like a top ten or whatever, sure. whatever number it got to, yeah. hit like prominently featuring the saxophone. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think the I think the the differentiator, and I and I I'll be honest, I haven't gone back to that song specifically, um, but I think in my head it had a nice hook. the The saxophone itself played a played a nice hook for the medley, but it didn't play. It didn't have a solo, if I remember correctly. I may be wrong, but I don't know that it had outside of the hook a right. solo. So that's that was kind of one of the things I started to think about as I was going through this. It's like, okay, I can pull a bajillion great songs that have an awesome saxophone hook in them, mm-hmm. but what's what's going to take me one level level deeper deeper and give me something that's like, okay, somebody realized like, okay, I need to bring the saxophone here for a, a reason that's a little bit more meaty. And that's kind of what what I was thinking as I put this list together. And this is obviously not a complete list, um, but it's it's a good conversation starter. Okay. Well, the first one we're gonna we're gonna share with the audience. We're gonna let you hear what we're talking about so that you have the context for our conversation. The first one we're gonna listen to is Tequila by the Champs. Yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, that's. I mean, that's an interesting one for a variety of reasons. I mean, first of all, it's an instrumental from 1958 that's built entirely around the saxophone. So yeah, I was going to say it's it's the singer. Yeah, it, the it saxophone is. in this song is the singer. Yeah, and I'm sure somebody has at some point put together some lyrics, um, you know, to to fill in those spots. But it's it is the feature instrument, and it wails. You know, I think that's the special thing about the saxophone. Uh, you know, kind of across the decades, is it has a special ability to wail that a lot of other instruments can't really tap into. Um, this one, like I said, it's from 1958, but it still resonates today. I mean, it's still a good song. Um, I think it it was associated and it had some burnout, you know, in the the mid to late 80s because it was the it was the Pee Wee dance from Pee Wee's Big Adventure, right? Um, which still, you know, still one of my favorite movies and still makes me laugh. Um, but you know, there's, there's, you know, there's something to be said about this particular, t- particular song. And there's, you know, obviously there are songs that came before it. You can't ignore songs like Rock Around the Clock, which is, I think it's one of the first rock and roll hits. But you know, it's a song I never ever need to hear again because it's been crammed down my throat over the years. But it's still worth a mention. Um, you know, and then you have the Fats Dominoes and Little Richards. You know, lots of other folks. Um, but tequila, it feels like a, a standout, you know, just because the saxophone got featured. I like it. I don't, I don't have a lot to, uh, expound on with regard to tequila. I guess I didn't feel the dip that you felt as a university of Washington alum and giant Husky supporter. Uh, tequila is actually near and dear to my heart. You may not know that it's of special import to our, our sports programs, Please, particularly, go particularly the football program. Um, it's just it's a signature song for our band. It is something that people in this area identify with the Huskies. Nice. So we still hear it every football game. It's a, it's a big crowd participation thing, obviously. Yeah. Um, it, to the point where when we used to tailgate with a certain group of folks back before they rebuilt the stadium and reshuffled all the parking, um, there was tea time. And tea time was tequila shot time every hour on the hour at the neighboring tailgate, which we sort of you know blended together with. Sure. And I got lit before football games because of tea time. <laughs> it's like, find me the shot with the least amount of tequila in it, please. This is, we've yeah. been here since 7 a.m. and it's 1230. Yeah. I always played those right in that I'd ride my bike down and then I'd, you know, get drunk and then let you guys go to the game and go home and sleep. <laughs> <laughs> you were nearby. It worked out. Yeah. All right. Next on your list, you've got Miss You by the Rolling Stones. And before I play our clip, I thought this was super interesting because I actually took me a little bit of effort to find the version you were talking about. You sent me some timestamps and I appreciate you doing that. Um, because what I found out is the single, like the seven inch single that came out, the version of the song that you would hear heard on the radio huh? doesn't have the saxophone version in it. That's a, it's crime a harmonica. It's a, a crime against humanity. It's a harmonica right? on the radio. Yeah. Where did you find this? That's so interesting. The, yeah. So the single doesn't have it. The LP version does. And the LP version is about a minute longer, but just the only difference is well, it's a little longer, obviously. And did yeah. you know that this song was conceived as a disco record? Absolutely. Yeah, okay. I think that's I think that's one of the things I love most about this song is it's a, it's a disco song. It is. Yeah. And that's the thing about this too is it's it's very it's funny that it's sort of timeless and also because it's time. a jam, it's a jam band song. It's yeah. it, it it's very weird that it's a Rolling Stones song. There's very little structure to it other than the saxophone kind of playing the riff and the the, the main riff in general. Yeah. Um, and it makes sense why it's a disco song because because it's sort of that looping riff you can just play it forever. And in fact, I didn't know I didn't know this. I haven't had a chance to listen to it, but I will or at some point after this. There's a special disco version of the song that's eight and a half minutes long. Oh boy, <laughs> that's incredible, <laughs> right? We'll have to we'll have to dig that up and, and tear it apart sometime. But here's Miss You. Uh, here's the saxophone from Miss You by the Rolling Stones. So that was interesting to me because it is, uh, I think it's an ideal version of a saxophone, even though it's a little intense, it's, it's a little chirpy for me, but it is like, like you say, a solo in that it takes the main riff and then sort of plays around on it. Yeah. Yeah. I think what stands out for me in this particular solo and song is you, you were making the point, like it's a disco song. It's very groovy, but Mm -hmm. then for this 21 second solo, the saxophone player kicks the door in. 
and he you know really emphasizes the emotion that the singer is talking about about lying to himself you know about how he's he's been missing this person he's sorry missing this woman um but he's coming to this realization that it's just not going to work out i mean it's mick jagger i don't know if you can make any assumptions that it's a woman that's true that's true hey i don't see gender um but anyway like i think just the fact that you're you're right it just it it turns it cranks the emotion of this song up a lot so your your point about it being a bit chirpy i totally hear you but i love what it brings to this and you know there were so many other like i mean the saxophone the 70s were a big breakthrough for the saxophone and this is i think this was like 78 um you know this just feels like i don't want to say the ultimate because you can't say the ultimate but a great expression of what the saxophone meant in the 70s Interestingly, after the part where I faded out, mm-hmm. it actually it continues sort of to be under the track after the fact, and then every once in a while like honk real loud. It's it's yeah. it's funny. Yeah. It's just like now it's a new character in the song. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. It's such such a great song. All right, next on your list we have "Rotating Heads" by the English Beat. Uh, I should say English Beat, not the English Beat. They're only the English Beat once they came to the state. Oh no, they were sorry. They're the Beat in the England. Beat. Yes, yes. They're, they're the French fries of, of popular music. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love it. Uh, anyway, Las Papas Fritas. Uh, the, English Beat is, a, is an important band for, for me and you. Um, we had a f- like, number of years ago. I don't know what turned us on to it, why we got so I sort do. of... I have, I 100% know. You remember the genesis started. of it? I do, I do. Okay, tell me, Gen- please. We, we Refresh whole, my memory. Okay, so we took a trip to Hawaii with our lovely wives and while we were there we had an amazing time but i had been i had fallen into a bunch of english beat music and i brought it along and it was just the perfect soundtrack for that vacation and i think we both came home with it as like a key part of not only our relationship but like a summer soundtrack remember when we went camping or something and then we were going to drive all the way to some insane music festival way out in the boonies to see yeah, them yeah <laughs> and it didn't happen but we ended up they ended up coming to the show box in seattle like not long after yeah i remember and i had so much fun at that show it's they're they're a great band i mean you can't say enough about how much fun and joy they bring to the party um and i think the thing about this head i'm sorry this this song rotating head um <laughs> is i don't know there's so many great saxophone songs in the 80s and it's and it's tough to say that this is a, a seminal one but this song i think means 80s to so many people just because of its use in ferris bueller's day off yes but there's so much more to this song that when given a chance people are going to discover and really appreciate well before we continue let's share it with the listeners let's do it here's rotating heads by the english beat I agree. It's, it's it's quintessential '80s. I mean, I I love the beat so much that I, I you know you probably if you heard us talk about on the show before I have this feeling that certain types of popular music could be re-released today and be just as popular, and I'm not sure this quite fits the bill there, but it feels to me because I love it so much that it could come out brand new and I'd be like, oh my god, it's revolutionary. You're you're wishing that would be the case, right? Yeah, <laughs> and I totally I totally appreciate that, but it's I think I think the shame is is with this song is, is similar to the the miss you song is it's a short solo i wish it were longer but i love the fact that he threw uh, an effect on the on the saxophone here and it, i can only describe it as watery it feels it sounds like he's playing underwater um but you know this is just a, a fantastic song and it's got so much energy i think you could dance to it um and you could hang out at a party with it it's just fantastic yeah i <sighs> You know, it reminds me, uh, it's almost like he's taking a saxophone and putting a um, a trumpet mute on it. Or a wah-wah pedal, yes. Yeah, well, the, the trumpet yeah. mute is basically a wah-wah for a trumpet, right? Yeah. That's that's essentially what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, and, and this is hard for me whether or not this qualified, because you sort of talked about, or when we talked about introducing this segment, you were talking about its role in pop music. And, and the beat, it's a little different, because they're... It's kind of like proto ska band, so a saxophone is just part of the music, right? 
right? It's not like you have any real big fish or less than Jake on this list. Yeah, and that's 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 a fair push. I mean, they have. I don't know that they have a full band, but they probably have a three or four piece band consistently um, playing on every track or most tracks. Right. They have horns and woodwinds on every on almost every song. Yeah. 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 yeah that's a good point. All right, next on your list, um, surprised to see this on here. I didn't think that this would be the kind of thing that you would be into, frankly. Well, hold on. Let's Before we get to that, Like, I, I, I think I wanted to make sure that this list was complete in that it kind of captured the saxophone's role in a decade. Okay. Not necessarily was a perfect reflection of my taste. Fair. So in that, in that regard, I wanted to choose a band that, you know, for the 90s, kept the saxophone relevant and continue to push it forward i'm not gonna i'm not going to say that i don't like some of this band's songs and i think i actually really like this song but i think its role this band's role in um, keeping the saxophone relevant in pop music was huge and can't be understated well the song you're referring to we won't keep our listeners in suspense is number 41 by the dave matthews band and before i say anything else let's take a quick listen So I guess the reason I say I found it surprising that it was on your list isn't because it was Dave Matthews Band, but more because this is like the Dave Matthews Band song for Dave Matthews Band fans. Oh, is that right? At least that's my that my memory of the of the guys that I knew in college that were super into DMB as they called them or mm-hmm. Dave or Dave. Just Dave. Um, just Dave, yeah. Uh, that and I was actually pretty into this band for a little bit. Um, it was, I mean, without missing too many words. You could put on Crash and just get down with your girlfriend to the whole record. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I think you can't you can't deny that. I mean, in the mid '90s, even to the early aughts, they were a tour de force. I mean, they were like selling out stadiums. They were a very big, big deal. Um, and I think the thing about this particular song, I mean, you you can't you can't also you know with when you mention the saxophone, the role of the saxophone in this band, you can't also mentioned the the role of the violin and how they complement each other so extremely well um and i think that was part of the appeal of this band is they brought forward these instruments that were atypical for pop music i don't even know if we can classify them as pop music but they were popular mm-hmm. um i think that was you know both of those things played a big role in why they were popular um and you know in the mid mid to late 90s you couldn't escape them um, and this is a legit saxophone, saxophone solo. And I think it, it, you know, this band, this song and this band in general deserve some recognition in this conversation. I agree. I, you know, I mean, my first thought about the, listening to this was one, wow, I've forgotten about this song completely. And I used to listen to this quite a bit. Um, and then my second thought was, well, I mean, they're a full band kind of band. So again, they're, they're basically a jam band that writes pop music. Yep. Um, do you also, think they, do you think they morphed into that or do you think they were that from the get go? That's hard to, I, I don't know, because it's, I need to, I'd have to go, like, do some research on their origins, really, to understand, yeah. like, how they go from, um, I'm trying to remember that. Ants, ants marching. Yeah, and under the table and dreaming to crash. Yeah. It's quite a transformation, really. Yeah. So, it's almost like they become more jammy and less pop rocky. Yeah. But I don't know when they add the musicians. Like, I don't know when people sign up and become part of the collective. Um. Well, I think, I think these, I think the, and I don't, I don't know a ton about this band, but I think like the bassist and Dave and the, um, violin player and the drummer and the, uh, saxophone player were always part of key, key players in the band. I believe so. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciated the, the nostalgia you brought back to me there just cause I really don't listen to Dave Matthews band anymore. And I, there was a period of time where I really did. Well, and I so think, was... I mean, like is it's, it's entirely possible that that listening to Dave Matthews band has not aged well for probably some people, right? It, it carries with it a weight of, um, I don't know. It, it, it means I got to turn my, put my hat on backwards and I got to go to the stadium to, to listen to Dave and be a bunch around a bunch of people who I probably wouldn't want to be around at this point in my life. (laughs) 
Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it just, I don't know, it turned into something. But whereas when it started, it was, it was definitely something else. Dave Matthews Band was the first non-hip-hop show I ever attended where people were openly smoking weed in the crowd. Okay, nice. So, yeah. yeah, I remember I went, I, I went to two Dave Matthews Band shows in my lifetime. One was at Key Arena, um, and it wasn't good just because... The Key sucked for music. He sucked for music. And I also saw one at Mile High Stadium hmm. um, where I sat the whole time, but I did smoke weed. So, you know, it was still a good, <laughs> it was still a good time. Well, as a person who considers themselves a Seattle, a Seattle native, even though I wasn't born here, um, it's complex. We'll get into it some other time. Uh, are you even a Seattle native if you haven't gone to see Dave at the Gorge? It feels, yeah, <laughs> you're absolutely right. <laughs> it feels like a rite of passage. And the last thing I was going to say is, like, of course, this is a six-minute song, so of course it has a saxophone. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. almost required. If it's not Rush... If you're doing a six-minute track, <laughs> if you're doing a six-minute track and you're not Rush, you're gonna have a saxophone. Yeah. All right, and then the last track you brought for this segment was um, a more recent track, "Bendite City" by M83, and we'll talk about it right after the musical break. So why that song, which I love, by the way, but why that song? It's a, I, I, I will readily admit um, that I've dropped off in my consumption of recent and popular music. Um, but that song, it stood out because that saxophone solo, I don't want to say it owns the song, but it plays a huge pivotal role in the song. And just the fact that, I, I mean, I think the, the tough part of this is I realized that song's almost 10 years old. So <laughs> I have a hard time like, comprehending that that's 10 years old. Yeah. It feels it, like it was like three years ago. Yeah. It, it feels like three or four years ago, which again is, is probably a good chunk of time, but that was a song that I think was very much in, in the pop culture conversation and it was everywhere. Um, and it, and the saxophone played a major role in it. So the fact that you, that again, we see the saxophone kind of coming to the forefront and people, you know, appreciating it in, pop music that was the key it kind of comes out of nowhere too it's not a big part of the song until that part of the the track like it it's not like there's a bunch of saxophone going on and then this is a solo it really joins the song at that moment and yeah. then becomes sort of the last verse or the maybe the bridge it's not the bridge but i don't know, even know what you would call it there it's just the song is essentially over when the sax yeah. comes on and then it extends it another 30 or 40 seconds that that, the, that's not the coda is it perhaps might be Dakota, but regardless, your point is well taken because I think it it does. You're right; it does come out of left field, but it doesn't feel unexpected. It no. almost it takes the song to another level, right? Yeah. It's already a really, really good positive energy song, and then the saxophone kicks in, and you go up a notch, and you go, "Wow, this is a lot of fun." That was one of my favorite records of whatever year that was. That Two th- whole 2011. That whole... <laughs> oh God, really? <laughs> Just let's not. Oh my God, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I just, but that M83 record, and I don't think I'd ever really heard of them before. It was one of those records that for me was the kind of thing that sent me back. Like I went to look for more of their music after yeah. the fact. Um, just because I, I really enjoyed it so much that I, I had to go find out more about what they made. And, and what I found was pretty good, a little more hit and miss. And I think that particular record overall. Yeah. Uh, but I, I really enjoyed this album and that song in particular. Yeah. Anything else to add about saxing me up before we get out of here for a second? Well, I mean, the only thing I I will say is that, you know, there, I know how um, aggressive the the listeners get. So I want to, I want to make sure people understand that this is not a complete list. You know, this is just meant to be a reflection decade over decade. And um, there's a lot of stuff that we could have mentioned here. Um, but I think the, the, the point is that the saxophone is still relevant and I love, I get, I get excited anytime I hear it in, in more modern popular music and hopefully it can stay relevant for years to come. Well, I pulled the timer on that one cause I knew it was going to take 20 minutes, but just for propriety's sake, let me do this. All right. So that was, uh, you know, that was like 10 minutes in your mind. Nice. 
Let's go to segment number three. <laughs> All right, in segment three, again, um, we've been without sports for quite some time, and we wanted to, you know, we've discussed a little bit about the, um, at least Chris and I have, rather, the inability to watch classic sports, largely because a lot of it looks like hell. Yeah. So if you're going to do this, um, I really wanted to, like, what, what could I actually watch that would entertain me? What, what could I find that I could go watch either on YouTube or hopefully, you know, well, I guess it's not really any different watch between the internet and TV these days anyway. But uh, I want to talk about all-time sports rewatches and what might be worth your time if there's still no live sports when you're listening to this. Um, did you bring anything that you wanted to get started with? Because I, I have one right off the bat that I'm ready to start with. Go ahead and you start. I got, I got some follow-ups. Okay, so uh, Beijing 2008, here comes Lezak. The uh, 4 by uh, is it the medley relay? Um, no, the 4 by 100 yeah, 4 by 100 free relay with Phelps and where it's... Uh, Alain Barnard from France, uh-huh. who's the anchor leg, okay. and Lizak comes back. Have you watched? Do you know what I'm talking about? Because you're I, making a face like this is a ridiculous <laughs> thing to bring up. Well, here's here's the thing I will say because I didn't. I want to let you get through this, but I don't care about the Olympics at all. <laughs> well, neither do I, and I don't care about swimming. But this was such an amazing moment. I remember I watched more probably of the Beijing Olympics than any Olympics, maybe before or since. Maybe since the 90s, when, yeah. when it was one of those things we all watched because there were, you know, eight channels. Right. Um, but this thing where they're lo- the Americans are losing and the French, the French get their best swimmer in the water in the final leg and Lezak closes on him and then out-touches him at, like by one-tenth of, you know, one, one one-hundredth of a second. It's insane. I so just, you, it's, okay, so, all right, well, I guess... Go watch it again. Go look up 2000. I will absolutely Beijing. watch that. But I guess the the point of this in my head was, what's a an, a game I can put on, right? So you're <laughs> talking about like, I, I don't know, four minutes, right? Like you're watching a four minute relay. Fair. Like fair. what's something I can put on and be like, okay, this can be on in the background and I'm sort of excited to watch it, it given that there are no other sports to watch. All what's right. What's something I can go back to and revisit? So it's not an easy, easy task. And you made a great point right off the bat is that, you know, they look like garbage. <laughs> the old sports look like garbage. <laughs> Even and stuff from like the mid 2000s. Why does it look so bad? I, I don't know. I, I think one of the the first ones I went back to when when all this hit was um, thankfully CBS started playing some old uh, turn NCAA tournament games and they played a Kansas North Carolina game from 2008, which looked okay. But I had seen it enough times that I was like, all right, I know what's happening here, and I'm going to tune in just because I'm excited about it. Now, obviously, that's a homer thing for me since I went to Kansas. But, um, yeah, trying to find that sweet spot of this is familiar familiar enough to me that I know what's going on. And I even if I can't see the numbers on people, for instance, in the 80s, I loved anything Celtics-Lakers, as did many people. That stuff looks like garbage, but I still get excited because it brings back some serious nostalgia. Okay. Well, the next one I had was um, baseball because you wanted to, you wanted something that was going to take a while. Oof. So I've got eleven innings for you of two thousand three ALCS Yankees Red Sox. Oh, that's amazing! That's this a is good the one. Aaron Boone game. Yeah, game seven, uh, the game where I, I remember I it's actually both for 03 and 04, which I might as well tell you I'm going to mention next that that uh, the Robert Steele in game four of the ALCS, um, but uh, actually. Uh, all last four games of the ALCS in 2004. It might be even better than this one, but I remember that, watching this. In 2004, was that the year the Red Sox came down from 3-0? Yes. Oh, absolutely. That's probably incredible to watch. Include Yeah, the Bloody Sock game is in there. Oh, um, that's amazing. Ortiz homering in both extra innings, <laughs> two games back-to-back. Uh, so both of these games, I really didn't – I can't really separate them because it's almost like you can't watch the 3 one without watching the 4 one, especially if you – don't if you're not a fan of the Yankees because you know watching the Red Sox lose again was really brutal for Red Sox fans at the time I didn't really have a dog in the fight it was just good baseball um in as much as you know I think the game runs for like five and a half hours (laughs) so you might as well put it on for the ambiance yeah yeah I think um I looked back I tried to look back at for baseball it was a tough one for me because it's slow enough as it is especially if I know the outcome Mm -hmm. um but looking at games that had like great individual achievements like 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 Kerry Wood's 20 strikeout game. Yes. Um, that's an incredible one. I mean, you're getting, you know, anywhere from one to three strikeouts an inning pitched by him, um, which is fantastic to watch. And, you know, just from a selfish, you know, standpoint, the movement on that, that pitch he had going that day was, I don't know that I've ever seen anything like it before or since. 
So you said when before we started the show that you were going to have one on your list that was going to get me upset. So why don't you go ahead and okay, slot that I, one in? Okay, I will go, and I and I will say I didn't enjoy it as much as I wanted to, but I watched Game Five of the '94 NBA opening round of the playoffs, which was Sonics Nuggets, <sighs> and the heavy and the heavy side, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> says it all. Um, I wanted it to be a better game <laughs> than it was. Uh, but it was still really, really, really fun to watch. And it's such a... I, I can't believe revisiting it. And I haven't watched it in a very long time. What a David-Goliath situation it was. Um, which probably doesn't make you feel any better. But it was still really entertaining to watch, I have to admit, after all these years. If the Sonics were going to win a title, that was the year. Absolutely, it was the year. It's like they. It's like the Nuggets somehow took the essence of the Sonics away and they couldn't get over the hump after that, which yeah, is a crying shame. I think the Sonics had gotten used to winning and just thought they were going to be able to show up, roll over Denver, and move on. Yeah. What I didn't was- realize, and I don't want this to be the Nuggets-Sonics Game 5 1994 <laughs> podcast, was that the Sonics were like, if not the top-ranked, one of the top-ranked defenses in the league that year, mm-hmm. which uh, that doesn't, does not compute from a George Carl team standpoint in my head. Um, but I don't know. It was, uh, it was a pretty fun game to watch, but, it, uh, it's a shame the Sonics couldn't pull it out. Yeah. Especially cause there wasn't any Michael Jordan to fuck things up in the finals. Exactly. That would have been the year. I mean, still got to go through Houston, but still, I think, I think most likely it's a Sonics magic finals. If yeah. 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 That would have been fun. I like that Houston team though, for what it was worth. Yeah. Me too. I got to say, I thought you were going to bring up Super Bowl X licks. X licks. That's the Patriots. Oh no, I'm not going to bring interception. I'm not going to bring up anything Super Bowl related after what your Seahawks put on <laughs> my Broncos. Uh, <laughs> there's no way that's entering the conversation. Although I will watch the Broncos Packers Super Bowl Super Bowl from the mid '90s. That's a fantastic Super Bowl. Well, I mean, I highly recommend that Seattle fans watch X licks again, but just turn it off after Jermaine Curse makes the catch and just assume <laughs> that everything works out. It's really fun to watch right up till that right after that point. Revisionist history. Yeah. Just just hey, just turn it off. Hey, that was great. I really enjoyed that. What a comeback. Oh. <laughs> but if you really want to look for a football game to watch, uh, as a again as a homer here, um, it's the NFC championship game from that same year. It's the Seahawks Packers. Uh, multiple turnovers, crazy comeback in the fourth quarter. Um, a clearly concussed Russell Wilson, uh, just who cries afterwards because he's got a brain injury. <laughs> He's also emotional. <laughs> that's just one of the most entertaining football games I've ever watched, period. Um, you can make a case for the NFC Championship the year before against the Niners. That's the Richard Sherman tip game. Uh, but uh, I think that Packers game is maybe the, the best Seahawks game, just from a pure entertainment standpoint, I've ever seen. Nice. Yeah, I think um, I, I think it, it obviously it all depends on what your taste is and what you get excited about. Um, I'll probably end up going back to the NBA more. Uh, cause I get excited about that. I don't think I can do a whole lot of baseball. That's pretty boring. I need something that has a little more action. How about Duke, Kentucky in 1992? Is that the, is that the Christian Leitner shot? You know, it is. Yeah. Yeah. I could go back to that. Uh, another one that I think that would be worth watching if you're trying to kill some time, the 11 hour, five minute Isner Mahout marathon from 2010 at Wimbledon. Oh my God, that's a that's a really good one. I didn't even think about going back to tennis. Well, that's that, and then the uh, maybe the greatest match ever played the Nadal um, Federer five setter from uh, weren't we together? Isn't it like four in the morning in a Portland hotel room after we'd gone to a Blazers game and Australian Open? Was it? I thought or, it was the French. Or, it was the French? No, if it was it, maybe it was it. Was it Wimbledon? Um, no, there's now we sound like no, it was definitely not Wimbledon. <laughs> we do sound like idiots but i do i oh man i forgot about that night um yeah i or maybe it was the um u.s open it might have been the u.s open no i'm pretty sure it was the, the 2008 no it had to be australian it had but, to be australian for it to be overnight no because i think it was i think it was wimbledon if we were at th- if it was three o'clock in the morning they would have suspended play but not here uh, yeah you're right i guess never mind all right i don't i don't remember but there were so many good ones it's i <laughs> I could go find the right one. I should have actually, you know, considering we're doing a segment on it, you would think I'd pull pull the actual list, but that just kind of popped into my head. Keep it loose around here. <laughs> um, the other ones I had that, uh, well, again, it's hard to come up with things that are all-timers that aren't personal to me in some way. So, And I think that's okay. 
Uh, Champions League, uh, Barcelona versus Bayern Munich. This was 2015. Um, Messi scores twice. He, what, what people will remember about this match, if they remember it at all, is when he just completely shakes Jerome Boateng's ankles. Like he shakes him and just breaks his ankles oh, no. and then slots it in. <laughs> I, this is like the one goal that stands out in my mind of all the Messi goals I've watched over the course of his career. There was just a, a fifth-year anniversary of an epic messy goal, I think, yesterday or the day before. Um, I can't remember who it was against or anything about it, but I saw it pop up in my notifications. Did you have any uh, any any Cubs or... I had the Kerry Wood game, and I think yeah. uh, I think you can also go back to the 2016 World Series. Probably the Game 7 is pretty, pretty special for any Cubs fan. Um, but I think, like I said, I think I'd probably go NBA first if i'm going to go down that road and i think even the last dance has scratched that itch quite a quite a bit for me even though i'm not the world's biggest bulls fan um it still did you know give me some nba action to chew on well the last one i was going to mention was from the world of hockey uh very personal to me also the uh the 94 eastern conference finals uh when the rangers beat the devils um my man brian leach uh just makes a (laughs) sick spinorama uh, the Devils tie it up with seven seconds left. Um, it's just, it's it's a great hockey game, I guess, for '90s hockey. <laughs> do you think? Do you think you could go back and watch that with the lack of HD? Have Have you tried? Can I watch it on a tube television? Like, if the, you could put it on a tube, <laughs> I think that yes. <laughs> it'll make it. Yeah, it'll make it easier to watch. Yes. No, I, I see what you mean. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for coming down the memory lane there with me. Always a pleasure. Well, that's it for our regular segments, and before we run out of complete time in the episode, you know what you know what that means. Now comes the part where we throw our heads back and laugh. Ready? Ready! <laughs> Dad jokes of the week. No woo. You're supposed to. Woo. I didn't know if you were asking. I was. You're I was waiting for my woo cue. Yeah. Well, when I say dad jokes of the week, then you say woo. Woo! Good job. <laughs> All right, I got a couple for you here. Did you bring any for us to, to share with us? Yeah, I have two. Fantastic. All right, I'll go first. My dad looks at me and says, if a woman goes through several disp- different husbands named William, is she a bill collector? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for laughing. <laughs> <laughs> two old friends run into each other on the street. One says to the other, have you met my daughter, Beth? Well, I don't think I have. Nice to meet you, Beth. Turning back to his friend, he says, what's Beth short for? His buddy looks irritated and replies, uh, because she's three. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Did you write these? No. Okay. <laughs> I might have rewritten them. <laughs> <laughs> oh. A wife asks her husband to go to the store for a gallon of milk and adds, as he walks out the door, if they have avocados, get six. Soon after, the husband returns with a big smile and six gallons of milk, proudly proclaiming to his wife, they had avocados. <sighs> <laughs> All right, well, that's what do you got? <laughs> All right, I got two that are equally as bad. So, did you know that the Lego shop reopens tomorrow? But I recommend avoiding it for the time being. People will be lined up for blocks. Indeed. It's very accurate. Uh, and my blind friend made me a nice greeting card in Braille. It was touching. <laughs> Uh, I like that. I was right? really scared. I was really scared when you started it. Yeah, you were worried about um, offending the, uh, I don't know, blind folks. The blind, who to your, the blind who listen to your. Uh, I yeah. guess what blind people can listen to podcasts without a problem. I'm, I'm aware. <laughs> All right. Thank you for contributing. Sure. Let's go to the overtime. Overtime. All right. In the overtime, I really just wanted to kind of check in with you um, on how your quarantine life was going. You've heard us talk on the show about homeschooling and the other challenges we've experienced. Do you have any fun or, I don't know, worthwhile stories to share with our listeners about your time stuck in the house? Well, I will first say that we've decided to leave the house and that has been huge for us. So uh, wifey had a big week at work last week so me and the kids uh hopped in the car and drove west to my folks place in colorado so being away and getting a change of scenery for a week has been huge for us um and i'm looking at like what the summer is going to be for us uh considering that all of our camps are canceled and things of that nature uh and i you know 
I think I'm going to try and make this the camp camp summer for us where we go out and basically camp every other week um, and just try and get out of the house and be active. I'm with you on that. We've talked about that for years. Well, not years, but for a while we've talked about at some point wanting to do sort of the Western United States scenic road trip. Yeah. Um, and I'm almost like, should we buy a trailer? Cause I don't want to stay anywhere. You know, I, I had the same thought. I was visiting my cousin um, who lives just north of Denver. He and his family have a big fifth wheel trailer that could sleep like eight people. And I was like, hey, do you just want to meet in South Dakota and hang out for a week? Um, I think that is a really good idea just to, I don't know about your wife or your family, but nobody in my family aside from the boy is interested in camping and sleeping on the ground in a tent. Um, So if you could go... uh, you know, rent something for a week or two weeks or however long, it might be worth it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like everything to do with camping except for dealing with actually sleeping in the tent. And this isn't to say that I mind sleeping on the ground or that I mind sleeping on an air mattress. It's it's really just the, the, the dumb hassle of like, Shoes on, shoes off, like, yeah. you know, like dealing, keeping the bugs out, keeping the dirt out of the tent, especially if you're there for multiple days, like how keeping your campsite clean. I love like campfire. Fantastic. Yeah. Fishing. Fantastic. Hiking. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, being out just like by some sort of a trail or a body of water or wherever it is that you're camping, some scenic area and, and being Drinking and from, cooking outside. Yeah. Sign me up. Cracking a beer first things. thing in the morning and Absolutely. drinking all day. Yes. All of those things are good. Should we just go camping? Um, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, it's your, without question. I did buy a tent a couple months ago and I did, I, we did try it out. Um, again, the boy and I enjoyed it, but I don't know that everybody's into it. So trying to figure out what's kind of the happy medium and maybe that is renting a trailer. And if your your vehicle has a hitch, it's really not that hard to do. I think the big thing with the trailer is you, it allows you to take a bathroom with a shower Yeah. and not having to use any sort of community facilities. Yeah. Because I think if you're going to go out in the world, you still want to try to isolate contact as much as possible. Yeah, I'm I'm 100% with you. So, yeah, I mean, that's kind of what I'm, you know, getting back to your original question, how are we dealing with this? We're doing okay, but I'm starting to look forward as, as to, like, what are things we can do where we can have some kind of positive energy, positive momentum, going out and feeling like we're doing things, but also limiting our exposure. And camping felt like the thing to do. I'm with you on that. So we'll see how it nets out, though. All right. Well, when we were talking about uh, our pre-show production meeting via text message. Yes. You said you wanted to save a little bit of time to talk about, I don't know, civil unrest. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if there's anything good that I can say about it now without. Uh... Well, that was a that was a joke. Okay. Um, but yeah, we can. <laughs> I think it was the world's on fire. And it's, uh... it's really hard to be doing this right now in this feeling the situation and watching things snowball, especially from a federal government perspective. Yeah. When I say this, I mean, putting out a podcast, it feels extra meaningless. Not that it's ever meaningful, but it feels extra meaningless. Yeah. Yeah. There's never been a time where this is less meaningless. I I totally agree with you. Um, Yeah. I mean, I don't have, I don't want to go too deep into this and I don't have a ton to add, but yeah, I think we're definitely in tough times and the message is like, Let's everybody stay safe and keep our heads about us, but also understand that there's a lot of bullshit going on. And, you know. (laughs) Yeah, I think the hard thing to take is when you see just evidence after evidence of law enforcement officers who seem to be itching for a fight. Yeah. That's the hard thing. You know, I'm I'm really, I I don't want to say I'm a righteous man, but I, I bristle at injustice in general. And I've, you know, I mean, I was probably blind to a lot of these problems until... I became a parent um, and started to really look at what world I was raising children in. Um, I know that I'm definitely guilty of after Obama got elected, kind of feeling like finally we've gotten over the hump. We've crested over the, you know, here we are. Sure. We finally made it to the point where we can relax on this a little bit. And it was the absolute wrong reaction. And I'm the first to admit that I I probably disengaged in a way that I, I shouldn't have allowed myself to do. Um, I never thought something like Trump would really be possible in our lifetimes uh, and, and what's gone on since has been nothing short of a nightmare. And I, I don't mean to be overly political on podcasts. And I know that people, you know, this is not that kind of pod, but uh, I know that a lot of people are hurting and I just, I want to voice my support for everyone who's seeking justice and don't want to do my part, um, whether it's via donation or demonstration um, to try to bring about 
some real lasting change in our country because it feels like not only our country but the world is at a really distinct tipping point in a way that I didn't think I'd see in my lifetime. And so not to bring us down or, you know, to end the show on this sort of downer of a note, but I think it's important to acknowledge it and important to that everyone, I get really frustrated with people who get frustrated with politics. I don't want to talk about this. It's too heavy. It's too much. Okay. Well, good for you that you have, I guess, the privilege to be able to ignore it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think we've, the, the problem is we've created a, an atmosphere where talking politics is immediately divisive and you know, it's either you create an echo chamber where everyone around you agrees with you, or you go do battle and you realize I can't be friends with that person anymore, right. which is the hardest part. And it's been, I mean, it's been coming for a long time, um, this divisiveness. And it's, it's, a, it's a damn shame that it's arrived at what it is. Um, but getting back to kind of what you were mentioning about, like, you know, how can you participate and how can you you know play a part i think that's one of the things that i struggle with and i'm sure i'm not alone like as a middle-aged white man of privilege i'm not gonna like sit here and deny it like i've had every opportunity afforded to me from the get-go pretty much i don't know what i can do and i think there are a lot of people wondering what they can do you mentioned making donations yeah you can throw money at it and i'm not trying to be like you know flip about your comment but like i don't know what i can do and i and i think there are a lot of people who wish they knew what they could do yeah um and that's kind of where my head is at with all of this and i'm you know definitely not casting a blind eye to what's going on but i also am trying to figure out what role i can play that can be positive and supportive um but also not make it about me yeah i think the very least that everyone should aspire to is that is to stand for justice and because if you don't stand for justice, what do you stand for? Exactly. All right. Well, Matt, thanks you so thank you so much for joining me. It's always a pleasure to have you on. Um, you know, I don't get to talk to you nearly as much as I'd like or see you ever. But uh, ever, yeah. <laughs> but it's it's always great to have you, and you're such a an eloquent guest who brings so much to the table. So I appreciate your wow. uh, your Jeez. guest appearance here. I'm gonna blush. Thanks, man. It's Whatever. always a pleasure. I'm I'm happy to be here. It's it's a fun outlet for me for sure. All right, well, go recover your password at NeckFat and engage with our wonderful <laughs> listeners. I'm sure they'd love it. All right, folks, that's our show. Our thanks to all of you for listening to this episode of the Two on Three Pod, where we hope you're staying safe, in particular right now, staying healthy and keeping your head above water. If you don't already, please subscribe and or review via your favorite podcast provider. And don't be shy about sharing your thoughts and suggestions for the show. We'll be back next week with more pop culture, life strategies, and existentialism. And until then... I don't know. Stay make safe. a noise. Just make a noise. Say goodbye. Bye.